0: It's Dr. Stu's podcast with me, your host, Dr. Stuart Fishbine, community-based obstetrician and home birthing specialist. (laughs) And I'm here as usual in Bliss's kitchen. Well, actually not as usual, but lately as usual in Bliss's kitchen. Not fire. With my friend and midwife extraordinaire, Bliss Young, and her beautiful summer dress.
1: (laughs) Well, it's actually pink.
0: Oh, yes. But that's not what I was talking about. (laughs) It's very distracting. Okay. Uh, we're happy to be back with you. This is going to be Fireside Chat or non-Fireside Chat number four, and uh, you can find us at com, obviously, and at BirthingBlissMidwifery Midwifery on Instagram, and my website is BirthingInstincts.com, and Bliss is
1: birthing with Yep.
0: I think otherwise, you guys know our social media things because you're on, you're listening to us now. So that's the end of the introduction. Thank you, Hans Zimmer.
1: Okay,
0: <laughs> it's hard to do without the real music, you know, it's not as dramatic as, it's Dr. Sue's podcast with me, your host, Dr. Stuart Fishman. You know? I can just sit in the back and go, like, last one time I played it on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're here uh, on a beautiful, uh, beautiful Friday um, in Southern California, and we wanted to do a little bit of, oh, which I'm trying to start out on a positive note today, I've got a couple of positive things, but but let's catch up on some of the stuff from last week, I think. wanted to talk a little bit about some births. You had some births, and I've had no births this week, but uh, I will be inducing twins tomorrow in San Diego unless she goes into labor today. People say, well, why would you induce twins? Because she's exhausted from being pregnant. Tomorrow is her due date. She'll be 40 weeks, and she's got about 16 pounds of twins inside of her, and she's really tired, and she has a really favorable cervix. And because she lives in San Diego and will probably go really fast, it's actually going to be really – Uh, advantageous for us to all go down there and then do a sweep and give her some castor oil and again it's not my mode of opera operation usually I don't like to mess with mother nature those of you who follow me know how much I appreciate that nature does it right most of the time but every now and then um, we obviously use informed consent and uh, share decision-making and this is a good decision on her part so that would be the plan for tomorrow uh, unless I have somebody up here in labor Tonight, and then in which case, we'll have to push that back a little bit. Uh, I have another set of twins, too. I have a couple births with you that are
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, hanging, hanging together, out there. And out. then uh, we, I had a breech birth on my schedule, but uh, she had a successful version with my good friend, Barry Brock, at Cedars um, on Wednesday, so two days ago. So that's exciting. So it does work, even in a prime who's in good physical shape with a frank breech birth. I didn't give her a very good success, chance of success.
1: I, I feel like you. He- He's, uh, he does a really good job. He's Most very of the time skilled. I hear that it works.
0: So. Yeah, he's very skilled. Uh, so he's the one good option that we have here in Southern California for hospital-based stuff. Shout-out to Barry Brock at Cedar Center. Yep. Okay. Any any other shout-outs? Um, we're
1: going to start on a good note, so I'll, I'll save.
0: Brian. <laughs> well, shout-outs are usually good. But <laughs> well, you have some bad shout-outs, huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, but, okay. we'll, we'll save that. For a few All right, well, tell us
1: about your birth. Um, so, I was thinking, I guess I've had two births. I had one on Sunday. Um, mom, who uh, switched into my chair late. Um, if you guys saw the news article on um, my Instagram, um, Danielle had her baby. It was a beautiful um, two and a half hour labor. Um, she lives about six minutes from me, which was amazing. I'm like, I'm like, why is that close to me? Um, and um, it was a uh, nuchal cord times three. Cool. Oh. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting. Did, I was the, like, did, oh. the, did the baby strangle? No, but the baby did come out pressed. Okay. Yeah, it was probably like a four Apgar and um, gave some.
0: Damn, it was supposed to be a joke. I know.
1: Gave some bliss kisses. As, as yes. you know, some babies want a little bit of kiss from me. So I gave some bliss kisses and um, came around really fast. So
0: that was
1: lovely. I'm feeling short of breath right now myself. But um, it was interesting because Hayes watched me. You know, we work together so often. Uh So I went for the cord and I pulled down on it and she noticed that I couldn't wrap it over the baby's head. So when it came out, I said nuchal cord and I wrapped it and I was like two, three. I I don't think I've ever had that. Yeah. So, um, beautiful birth, but the great thing about Danielle is she was, um, they intervened on her both times, last time, um, because she was 41 weeks, and she delivered again at 41 weeks, but last time they gave her Pitocin, and then they also broke her bag and told her that things were going too long, so she really kind of had that, not sure if my body's going to work, and we did our visit, actually that day, when she went into labor, we had had a visit, and we talked about maybe doing a membrane sweep, and I said, you know, a lot can change in a week. So one of the things that she said, she's like, you know, if you had done that sweep, I would have thought that that's why I went into labor. And it was just so lovely for her to be able to, like, feel, you know, last baby, that, what it was like to just kind of have a totally.
0: Yeah, I know that
1: this, this, four,
0: this 39 week thing, this 41 week thing, um, you know, it fits with the medical model of let's expedite things. Let's, let's do it on our schedule. Um, you know, the story about, uh, the, I heard a story from a doula, I think, I mean, we might have talked about this on a previous podcast, but <laughs> the resident came in to the rupture of the membranes and the the doula asked the resident, well, why do you want to do that? And he said, well, we need to speed things up. And then she looks at the resident and she goes, well, why do you want to speed things up? And like, <laughs> there was silence because mm-hmm. he thinks it's a really dumb question.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah because he,
0: yeah because of the poor guy from his perspective he's never thought about the fact that well why why do we want to speed things up why do why are we doing that, Good for
1: that to
0: look. Yeah. yeah and if i if i had my brothers you know with the twins tomorrow i would tell tell her to wait yeah i
1: mean i get it we missed you know we missed a um, twin
0: a1 well it's yeah, not only that a1. she's just a1. she's just it's hot and she's tired of being pregnant and i totally i totally understand constant. it right Right, but I would tell, I would tell, I mean, it's going to work, so I'm not really that concerned about it, but I would would really like to tell her to wait.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we have to give information and then respect people's choices. Yes. On both sides. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that was Saturday, and then um, Tuesday, I think, I had uh, another multi who actually was um, was, uh, your client and I was a student with her. I'll use her name later. Um,
0: and she... You uh, stole a stole client?
1: No, she chose oh. me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so she um, had a very fast, also very fast delivery, was very surprised because her first one you know how that is, there's They're surprise that it's so much different. And um, just me and her and her husband in the bathroom because it was a tiny little bathroom. And I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. in order to, to support her, I had, we had to close the door. So, um, but she had had a baby last time that had, they didn't find out till later because the baby had um, delays in, um, you know, things that they would have expected at no, the time. Mile, or, milestones. Yeah. Milestones. Milestones. Um, and they found out that there was a microdeletion later. So one of the things that was really important to her that she found out from like the OTs and stuff is to do the breast problems, to really allow the baby to like utilize that neurologic pathways from a very early, early time. So we did that breast crawl, really, you know, put, a, put the baby on her belly and let the baby crawl up and find the breast
0: Is this a micro-deletion you can screen for?
1: I need, need to ask for that. I don't did, remember. did they
0: screen for it in this baby, or they don't They don't know yet?
1: Oh, in this baby, we did all of the tests. Last time, she didn't want it no, to. No, I'm saying, but tests.
0: you, but they found out what it was in the yeah. first baby, and then they could screen for it. That, oh, they could? Okay, yeah, yeah, good. Because yeah. you can't. I don't think you can screen for it. Maybe you can if you do an AMEO or something like that. Mm-hmm. But the NIPT tests only screen for certain microdeletions, not all of them. Right, right, right. So those are my births;
1: they are both beautiful. That's and, great. And everybody's doing great. So
0: yay! That's great. I uh, I think I'll, I think I'll venture into this down this path. Um, I have a patient who's transferring her care to me from a, a practitioner here in LA. Um, She's not the first person that's ever transferred out of care from this practitioner, but this practitioner has a tendency to have an ego. That's larger than, um, than life. Right. And when he found out she was transferring, he called her up to sort of challenge her and scold her. And I, I, just, for the life of me, can't figure out what kind of ego you have and what kind of, what kind of, uh, People, person, you are humanity, you have to do something like that.
1: When you mean school, when you say school, do you mean telling them all of the things that could happen if they, yep. Yeah. yeah, that this is a bad decision, yep. it's not
0: safe. Yep, it's an unsafe decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is from somebody who who I know very well, he knows what I do, and he does it anyway, because I think it's almost all ego and not, uh, well, it's clearly not evidence based, mm-hmm. because. There's so much good evidence that supports, especially a multiple, um having a out of hospital birth. Yeah. That um, you know, it's it's an odd thing. It's a it's a personality quirk. Um, I ran into him once at a hockey game. I was with a friend of mine, and he I used to be very close to this guy, and I ran into him once at a hockey game. And it was the most. It was the most awkward conversation. And my friend goes after me after the conversation. Boy, that was really uncomfortable, wasn't it? I go, yeah, it was. It was really uncomfortable. Yeah. Well,
1: good for your client for mm-hmm. for finding you know something that works better for her this
0: time. And just and just and understanding and standing up to this onslaught.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. I always prepare my clients when they have that conversation. They feel like they have to break up with their doctor when they switch into care. And I just tell them, you know, I just want you to be prepared that they may say a lot of things about against home birth and against your decision. And, you know, if you walk in feeling confident and you've done your research, then you probably won't affect you, but I want you to, want you to be prepared. Because I've had women call me crying. Like, I cannot, but I thought they were going to be supportive. They've always been so nice, you know. Um, well, they learned, so you
0: learn something about somebody because if they can't be supportive, even if they disagree with your choice. There's, there's a there's a very professional and humane way to to talk to them about that. And if they can't be supported, you probably dodged the bullet in the first place.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah, totally. Right. I mean, um, um, I have a, a client who is having me do kind of like monetary services at home before she transfers into the hospital for a VVAC this month. And, you know, it's been really interesting helping her navigate those conversations with her doctor because it's so clear to me that she really wants is a home birth, but she just doesn't feel safe and feels like she doesn't have enough time to really, you know, wrap her mind around it. But all of the things that she's asking for are really things that we would do in a home birth. Like she tested positive for GBS and she wants to retest, but they said, you know, even if you get a negative the second time, they're going to treat you as if you are positive and they're going to separate you from your baby. And you know, and so she said, "Can I decline?" I said, "Of course." but I want you to understand when it comes to the baby, then they're going to probably start to talk to you about child protective services. And like, you know, when you give somebody informed consent, having to tell them that, and she, you know, it's just, um, yeah,
0: you sent me a, a I had the same issue yesterday. Really a midwife asked me a question about that and you sent me a consent form.
1: Um, this, that has to do with COVID.
0: Right. Particularly. Oh, well, you, yeah. were t- you were talking about, well, you, you weren't talking about COVID.
1: No, we were just talking about um, GBS, oh, and oh, if GBS she declined card, yeah. the antibiotics, they would treat her as if she was positive, and they would probably separate her from her baby and take the baby to NICU oh, right. to make sure that it didn't have any signs. But yes, there is a... But can't
0: you, can't you refuse to have the baby go to the NICU anyway?
1: As soon as you decline anything for the baby, they're going to start to tell you that you're being irresponsible, and they'll probably involve.
0: Well, Which is another reason in the, in the long list of reasons to stay out of the hospital for normal birthing. Yeah.
1: But she's already made a decision. So I'm kind of like trying to really respect that because we've had some really clear conversations about her choice. And um, it's been interesting to, to hear what he's saying and trying to be respectful. But I think going back to your point is she was able to at least have the conversation and understand what the limitations of that relationship is and be realistic about it and wrap her head around, okay, I'm making this choice. We've had a conversation. I feel educated. He knows what's important to me. Here's what he's probably not willing to do. And so mentally, I think she's a little more prepared and probably will have less trauma because she knows that she chose that. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. Um, I did want to mention one more thing about those deliveries. Both of those moms declined the placenta encapsulation. The first one, I I said, can I take it home and just kind of leave it in my fridge in case you need it? They were like, "Eh, I think we did it last time. I think we're fine. Okay. So the second one said, yes, you could take it home, which I'm doing today. Um, But the first one started having real bluesy stuff, like mood, you know, Concerns and um, low milk supply. And so she said, I still have a tincture from last time. Do you think I should take it? I said, Absolutely, take your tincture. Helped her feel better emotionally. I really do feel better since I took the tincture. And I'm like, yes, Yeah. It worked. Yeah. You know, it really does work. So I kind of wanted to mention that too. It was
0: interesting. Okay. I want to mention a couple things. First of all, thank you so much for my haircut.
1: Oh, you're yeah, <laughs> welcome.
0: Okay. You guys saw me last week. I was Albert <laughs> Einstein and,
1: and you know mini yeah, yeah, and we
0: sat out on the porch and I got my head buzzed by Bliss, and she did a great job. Mm-hmm. And I want to I want to thank my friend um, Nathan Riley, Nathan.
1: who has a podcast
0: called Obi Rhino Gino. I think um, he did an interview with Hermine Hayes Klein and Brad Boots Taylor on his podcast last week. You guys, have time to look it up. You can find it on your podcast app. The OBG, it's the OB Wino Gyno, I think. Yeah, and he that. always
1: reviews wine. And he reviews wines with his podcast. <laughs> it's really so it's kind
0: of a cute idea. He's
1: great.
0: We love it. Right. And then yesterday, um my good friend and a longtime client, Kimberly Vanderbeek, was on with Ricky Lake and Abby Epstein on their Instagram live thing, which will probably expire today at one o'clock. So as soon as you finish listening to our podcast, do not leave our podcast to go to her podcast. But you can probably still find it on Kimberly's uh, uh, Instagram live for at least another uh, uh, um, an hour after we're done. What
1: were they talking about? Everything. <laughs> okay. And
0: Kimberly is just so enlightening. She's just she's a guru on so many things, that mm-hmm. she's fascinating to listen to. Mm-hmm. So that's a, just another good thing out there. So I wanted to thank you for that. You're welcome. Any more good news? Um, who is
1: the doctor that um, our client? Um, the doctor said that he was back for us. I'm trying to remember his name which the client that we're doing in like
0: Malibu area. Oh, I don't remember that. There was time. a doctor named do Dr. A Chang. For that, that, for that J- Jitson Chang is also a doctor in Southern California in, in the LA area. I think the Santa Monica area who seems to be supportive of what we're doing. He's not, I mean, I, I just got his name from somebody who, who got, he had a breach and he got it into Barry Brock or something like that, that he was supportive of of that whole thing. So there's some good things that seem to be happening here. Um, uh, a couple of good things, I got mentioned, uh, my, my breach paper got mentioned as a reference in, a, in another research paper. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, we yeah. just
1: looked it up right before you, we uh, joined you.
0: Right, so somebody cited me. So now I've been cited in a good name. Citation, which is not a good thing to do, right? Right. Um, someone
1: was asking Kimberly
0: who? Oh, Vanderbilt. V-A-N-D-E-R-B-E-E-K. Um, her, she's a, she and her husband, James, was on uh, Dawson's Creek and also was a big a big contestant last year on Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, and right.
1: um, has been doctor Stu's client for their last three babies. So, four. Four, last four. She has five
0: babies. Right. Yeah. Right. I met her because her second baby was Breach, Joshua. So, but I was listening to her during my lunch hour yesterday. I was listening on and off.
1: I can't even
0: tell you. And, yeah, you heard me, but you were on the phone. <laughs> anyway, it, it was it was really good. And, of course, Ricky and Abby are great interviewers, so yeah. it, was, it worked really great. Yeah. Um, so I have some really good news, which will come as a surprise to the mainstream medical world, but not a surprise to me at all. This is the uh, Green Journal. I get it every month. And normally it's filled with stuff I pay no attention to or stuff that's negative about stuff that I believe in. <laughs> but this <laughs> This month, they did a paper out of France, which is a title, you can't read it backwards probably, First Twin and Breach Presentation and Neonatal Morbidity and Mortality, you got that backwards, according to planned mode of delivery. Okay, mm-hmm. so I would just like to read this because First Twin Breaches breeds fear in the heart of pretty much every obstetrician out there. Yet, there are seven papers that he cited in here and I've known about that support breach-first twin delivery, which is part of the reason that I do it. And even in, in, in my breech cephalic paper, and also in the paper that I did about, I mean, not breach cephalic, my breach singleton, and the paper that I did about entrapped heads, that maneuver that I came up with in my case report, I cited some of these people. But I just wanted to go through some of the highlights in here and just see what, what people need to, no, I mean I'm not saying that anybody's going to jump and do it because their conclusion is always going to be the same conclusion that it's safe, but no one knows how to do it, and so they want to bring back teaching for that sort of thing. But this was a national perspective, population-based study of twin deliveries conducted in 176 French hospitals, and the inclusion criteria were part of the twin stu- twin birth study, which is a, you know, a, a, a study that came out with the typical inclusion studies and that includes things like. Both fetuses have to be alive. The birth weights have to be between 1,500 and 4,000 grams after 32 weeks gestation. Uh, Again, this is all hospital stuff. This is not my protocol for home birth stuff. And they always, in the the twin birth study, they said the first twin should be vertex. So they ignored that part of the study. And they went along with this. And they had uh, 1,467 women with a breech-first twin, which is a fairly large number. 80% of them had a planned cesarean delivery. And 20% had a planned vaginal birth. Of which 62% of the people that planned a vaginal birth had a successful vaginal birth. So that's a very fairly low number, because in my own practice, my success rate with primips is 60%, mm-hmm. but my success rate with multips is 98%. All right. So the problem with this paper, and I looked desperately through the entire paper; they never broke it down by parity, because mm-hmm. I would really like to see the numbers were that were only 60.2% success rate. I'd like to know what was the success rate in their primips versus their multips, And they didn't break it down. But their conclusion was that planned vaginal delivery was not associated with higher neonatal mortality or morbidity than planned cesarean delivery, regardless of the statistical methods that were used. So they concluded in our cohort, planned vaginal delivery was not associated with higher morbidity or mortality for either twin. When you have a first, in breach. And then I, I guess I won't get into the details because it doesn't really do good on a live Facebook thing but one of these times when we do a, a podcast where we're sitting there and people aren't actually watching me read, which is kind of boring I will I will go through this uh, but I just want to get to the conclusion which was um,
1: I think people like to see what we what behind the scenes looks
0: like Really?
1: When we're actually doing a podcast now when they hear the podcast they can imagine us
0: so here they said our findings can be generalized only to centers where obstetricians are trained and accustomed to vaginal deliveries for breech presentation. So how many of those are left?
1: Say
0: it again. <laughs> they can be generalized only to centers where obstetricians are trained yeah. in and accustomed to vaginal deliveries with breech presentation. Yeah. And so the, their absolute end of the, the last paragraph says applying these results to practitioners who may have lost or never learned the skills required for vaginal breech delivery. And to residents during their initial formation, formation it says, requires investing in the teaching of obstetric maneuvers. Who does that sound like? You. Right. Because (laughs) simulation training has shown a positive effect in singleton vaginal breach deliveries by residents and in breach second twin extractions. This is something that I teach and that David and Rick teach with their Breach Without Borders courses. Hopefully, once the lockdown is lifted, we'll, uh, we'll resume those courses. Yes, we will. Uh, the pedagogical strategy should also be considered for training for vaginal delivery of first twins in breech presentation. Awesome. And it's very reputable, and it's in the most reputable American journal.
1: That's great.
0: The Green Journal. Yay. Right. So that's some good news, too. No, that's
1: good. It's not
0: shocking to me at all. What's shocking is it actually got published. <laughs> wow. Well, but obviously, these guys are academicians out of France, and so the journal published them. Yeah, so I've tried to publish things in the Green Journal. I haven't been too successful with that.
1: Well,
0: I. maybe I've going had some letters to the editor published though
1: in the Green Journal. Yeah.
0: In my old, my older cranky days.
1: Oh, you're not so cranky. No,
0: I'm not cranky anymore.
1: <laughs> is that when you were still in the hospital? Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. Oh, you know what you brought up this week, and I don't see it with you—is um, reading from your book.
0: Oh, I forgot my book.
1: Yeah. You want to talk about your book again?
0: We can brief it up and, and see if people think it's a good idea.
1: Okay, go ahead. Okay.
0: So, why did I bring it up?
1: <laughs> we're, we're less cranky, but more forgetful. Oh, my God. Yes. Um, so, because you said you thought it might be good to go and, like, kind of read back some of the things. It was a midwife, right. a doctor, and a mom. No. Um, and you wrote the book back in what when? We
0: were Originally in 2004.
1: Yeah, and the second
0: edition came out in 2010.
1: Yeah, and um, so I thought that was a great idea to kind of look back. Things have changed. You didn't remind me. Thing? No, I didn't remind you. Um, but I but I always look at the cover and think it probably should be updated. Maybe with it, what, that cute picture of you with the horses, or maybe well, the, the cover one with the a dog. cover is an artistic
0: drawing of a woman looking at herself in the mirror. No, but
1: it's it's more like 90s.
0: Well, if I do read you the book, it would have to be redone. But I thought it would be fun to go look back and read a little bit of what I said about diabetes and pregnancy when I was still hospital-based practice and, and compare it to how I think now. I think that that would be sort of a, an interesting thing. Take one little segment. Yeah. And the only segment of the book that's completely obsolete, which would be kind of fun to read anyway, would be the genetic section because I wrote this book before NIPT testing came up, which revolutionized everything so that the be all end all in genetics testing back then was a CVS or amniocentesis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, but now CVS and amniocentesis are almost never, almost never used.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, do you know Marianne Williamson? Of course. Yeah. So she's doing these evening. She's reading from her return to love, which is a book that she did probably Uh back in the eighties. So every night I feel like it's kind of like the bedtime story. She gets on live and she reads for ten or fifteen minutes from her book, and that's it. So, I mean, I hate to think about you doing anything without me, but no, 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 you no, can no, do no. That. I would never do it without. You could go live every night while you're in the pandemic, because you're kind of like, you know, some, some nights you're a little bored. So, and you could read from your. By book. the way, I have a
0: fast, fantastic Marianne Williamson story. Oh, holy, I love. That. Okay, awesome. so she was running for a state office probably 4 or 5 years ago. This yeah. was before she was running for president. She
1: came to the sanctuary
0: and did a, a little chat. And I donated to her campaign mm-hmm. a significant amount of money and there was a fundraiser at her at someone's house in Malibu. Mm-hmm. And the entertainment was Steven Tyler. Huh. And he sang Dream On.
1: Wow. With
0: his band with a band in the backyard. My friend Stephanie was with me
1: I love at the that. time.
0: And we went, uh, and it was one of my best memories, because it's one of my favorite songs. You know, (laughs) know, part of of it is my favorite, because when the Kings won their second Stanley Cup, it was the theme song they played uh, during the whole playoff run, Uh, during that whole playoff run in 2014, they played that song. Yeah. And before before every game it got the fans really ramped up to see it
1: live too and right? then yeah who
0: expected that I just know. in the backyard of a fundraiser um,
1: Aero,
0: Yeah, Aero, I mean it wasn't the whole Aerosmith band but Steven Tyler was there and he sang with some musicians and he sang that song among a couple other songs too but that's the one that stuck in my mind so that was a really cool memory right so
1: well, well what do you guys think let us know if you think you'd like to hear um, how we stuff.
0: thought 10, 15 years ago, yeah.
1: Yeah, how Dr. Fishburne, you know, looked at things back then, and then we could compare them. So, let us know what you think about that as being part of one of our segments. Um. So there were a couple of things from some of the things we talked about last week that I thought we could bring up again. So, okay. Um, Be-
0: before we end up going into the dark side.
1: Oh, is that the dark side?
0: No, no we are going to get to the dark side, though. Mm-hmm. But let's get to let's talk about those other things first. I
1: feel. Like we should. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The dark side yeah. segment. Um,
0: <laughs> the force is not with some of us, so
1: I'll tell you that. Uh, um, so we talked about a couple of things last week. I just wanted to give you updates. We have our mom, his screening for Turner Syndrome, and she, um, uh, they decided not to do the second test yes. that we sent in um, because they'd have to pay for a second <coughs> test. Um, they talked to a genetic counselor this week, and um, are have scheduled an amniocentesis, but they're still thinking about it because they're plan.
0: Well did you give background on that? Did you go just, ahead. No, I mean last week. Yeah, well some people weren't listening last yeah, week, so go ahead. Well she's your patient, but she had an <laughs> NIPT test. Can I say everything about the test and what it said? Yeah. Yeah. She had an NIP she test. Wants us
1: to share it. She had an N I P
0: T test that came back showing forty five XO Turner syndrome. Right? Turner syndrome is Apparently, in my reading, 99% of Turner's conceptions will miscarry or die in utero. So a very rare, small amount will be born. But most Turner syndrome babies have anatomic abnormalities. 75% of them have this thing on their neck called a cystic hygroma, which is a very obvious thing. They often have shorter limbs, and there's some other cardiac and other thing defects that go along with it. So I happened to see her at 12 weeks because Bliss wanted me just to, to take a look at the baby. Right? Was that what the reason I was looking at her?
1: Recently. Because she got the test back, and, and you said that she should come in. Right. Yeah. Right. You yeah. sent her in
0: because mm-hmm. the test was abnormal. Yeah. And I just took a look at the baby. And again, um, it's not 100% accurate, but her baby looked 100% normal on ultrasound. And Little baby girl. And it looked, I mean, there were, the neck was perfect. The limbs that what seemed normal length. So that's a very reassuring sign. But then she went off to see the genetic counselor, as we thought she should, because this is a confusing thing. But I talked to the genetics, the person at the, at the laboratory that ran the test, and he said that in lieu of the baby looking really normal, there's two possibilities. One is that the mother herself has some 45XO cells in her body, and they could have picked up on those. But she had an MAPT test with her second baby, and that didn't, that didn't show up. So that would be very unlikely then. The other possibility is something called a placental mosaic, which is most, the most likely thing that this is going to be a, a cause of um So I was surprised when she went to see the genetic counselor and they told her it was about 50 50, 49 51 or something like that.
1: 61
0: 49. 60. No, that, that doesn't add up, <laughs> I can't right. say that's not. I thought it was 51 49.
1: A little bit more than that. Okay. But yeah. Just over half.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just over half. Yeah.
1: yeah that's why I'm agreeing with you.
0: <laughs> okay. So that, that that it still could have Turner syndrome. Mm-hmm. Even with an even with the normal anatomy scan,
1: yeah.
0: So we'll we'll see what we'll see what the NAMIO yeah. says.
1: Someone was asking how did how did they know to do the test? They wanted to do the test because they had two boys, and they really wanted to know if they were having a girl this time. That was one of the main reasons that they did the NIPT. And um, so there are a couple different things that you can test for on there the the normal trisomies, um, and then the what do you call them the aneuploidies. Yeah. yeah. So I marked both on there because I figure if you're doing the test,
0: you might as well test for everything, and that
1: one came back um, positive, and um, so that's that's why we've gone further down the path. With that. So that yeah.
0: For those of you having a hard time hearing me, we're going to have a microphone next week, with us. but you can go over to Bliss's Instagram live at what is it? Birthing
1: Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. Yeah. And we'll be on for another thirty minutes.
0: Right, and you can the sound is better on her on her little phone than it is on my laptop. So, um, yeah. But thanks for saying that, Jessamyn. I know we've had that complaint before. Um,
1: is it me or both of us? What? That they can't
0: hear. Oh well, she, she just
1: said sounds bad.
0: She said so hard to hear you.
1: Oh, sorry. I think it means both of us. Okay. Um, and then my other mom that we discussed last week had um, a small episode of bleeding, just a little bit of spotting, really like very little camping, but it's more on the nervous side. And so um, I sent her in to Dr. Fishbein on his day off. He went in and met with her, which was very kind of you. And... Um, and he saw contractions and really felt instinctually that she um, was at risk for preterm labor, even though she wasn't feeling any of these contractions. Her bleeding had stopped. We sat in her home on pelvic grass. She continued to have brown spotting for a week um, and we I, and told me that it smelled funny. So to me, I felt like probably needed to look a little bit deeper because of Dr. Fishbun's instinct, and she still was really. Unsure whether or not she was contracting, and um, so I finally convinced them to go in to see um, Dr. Shavira. Um, They were very nervous about having to go into the hospital. The father was not allowed in while she was being um, evaluated. She did tell me that she had a wonderful experience at the hospital, the nurse treated her very kindly and she felt really good about being there once i think she got past the fear of what it was going to be like to go into the hospital um
0: well, fear is always the biggest boundary i mean it really is i mean once you get past the fear people are generally nice people yeah unless you're a certain doctor in beverly hills and then, 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 then <laughs> <never> <laughs> mind. unless you're the
1: yeah. one who will not be named yes um and uh emiliana was able to um you call that? Vaginal process? ultrasound. Vaginal probe ultrasound and uh, distinguished that it w- is a previa. So she has placenta previa. It was not mentioned in her 20-week ultrasound and because of...
0: Which is surprising because it would yeah. have probably been more of a previa at 20 weeks than it would be at 30
1: weeks. And not even a mention. She's on medical. So I'm going to say that I feel like that has something to do with it. They spent more time lecturing her about not getting Shot um, and the genetic counseling. You made mention of something that they said about the genetic counseling on there. There was like half of a page of like all this information that they had given her, um, and they didn't. They didn't mention it at yeah, all. Yeah, it's almost a cut. Con- it's, it's almost it's, no it's, it's almost a cut and
0: paste type yeah. thing that's on there. They cut and paste these things and put them, and they put them in their reports. I, I think there's a reimbursement issue when you when you you say you did all these things with somebody, you get paid like, more yeah. mm-hmm. than if you didn't. I can get. I, Guarantee you, they don't go through everything that was on that paper, piece yeah. of paper, right?
1: But I thought it was interesting. I wish I had the picture that you sent me. Um, but you talked about that previa. Sometimes, if this is the uterus, right? Oh, I have, a, the, I have that picture. Oh, good. He'll show you that the placenta could be like mostly up here, and then like an edge could be down over the os. <laughs> you um have snake figures. Or the whole thing could be over the os. So hers is the way that if you look at them, most of the placenta. <laughs> It's up here, anterior, as they said, um, or posterior, I'm sorry.
0: Let's see yeah. to put that there.
1: So that's, so hers is, is the top one where it's just the edge. So it could recede. She's 31 and a half weeks, um, but it's pretty unlikely that her placenta is going to move. So now um, at 32 weeks, we're planning a potential bleed. you want to explain why she could have a bleed? Well, the
0: uterus starts to stretch and contract, and, and the placenta just separates.
1: Yeah. They're be- they're so it's open, downward. Because
0: it, it's so vascular. There's so many blood vessels down there supplying that exchange that's going on with mother and baby. And if the placenta begins to shear off when it's connected down there, um, it's just not as stable as when it's connected up in the top of the fundus. So so things move, it shears, and bleeds. And that's why she had her first bleed. And with placenta previa classically, the first bleed is never really that bad. Right. And the second or third bleed could be catastrophic. So a lot of times, when they have a true placenta previa, um, then after the first bleed, they'll they'll put them at bed rests. But if they have a second bleed, or even sometimes if they're closer to term, they put you in the hospital until you until you're ready to deliver. And then they end up usually doing an amnio for lung maturity and delivering you prior to labor. He
1: said that the rec- that the recommendation would be to have a cesarean, plant cesarean. He said, if you look at the literature, it's
0: somewhere between 36 and 38. Yeah. Um, But. Yeah. And, you know, again, I've been removed from the hospital for 10 years, but I just know that we used to do an amniocentesis first because if she's stable, why would we section her 36 weeks if the baby's lungs weren't ready? Why would we wait another week or give steroids and then do it 48 hours later? But
1: leave her in the hospital. Oh, yeah. 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 Leave her in the hospital. So, you know, this is another one of those situations. This mom's on Medi-Cal, and it's very, very difficult to figure out how to get her good care. She's on the west side um, and, uh, you know, trying to help her navigate what it looks like right now. An urgent situation, she can just go in and be cared for. But it would be nice, even Dr. Emiliano said this, is um, Dr. Shavira, not Dr. Emiliano, um, said that it would be nice if she could do a consult with somebody before she's coming in with a you know a bleed. Um, so trying to help her figure that out this week. If anybody knows any great doctors that take Medi-Cal on the west side of Los Angeles that you want to refer me to, I'd be really grateful.
0: No. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be on the west side. I mean if she if it's a great doctor and she has to try to a half an hour, she'd still do it, wouldn't she?
1: Well, but probably better to get do a consult with a doctor that's at that hospital so that
0: it's close by in case she does have a bleed. Oh, they're not going to keep right now. They're not keeping her. There's no one keeping her in the hospital. Right? Okay. right. Yeah. 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 Although if she, if she was bleeding heavily, the ambulance is just going to take her to the closest hospital and she'll get cared for.
1: Yes. We know that. Right. So for an urgent situation, but you know, for a console. Okay. So a little update for you guys. Be, I've been meaning to
0: get into this for quite some time. I've carried this around in my briefcase for, well, since first week in February. Um, but this is an interesting thing because those of us in the birth world carry a lot of medications in our car? bag, car, <laughs> whatever, you know, suitcase, mm-hmm. whatever, we, we mm-hmm. backpack, we carry them and even medic- even doctor's offices and, and other offices, they carry these medications and all these things, even IV fluids, even, even like plastic syringes. If you look at them with empty, nothing in them, they have an expiration date on them. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if you work in a Medicare facility, a hospital, whatever else, anything that gets to the expiration date has to be thrown out. And that becomes so much waste. And you
1: can't donate
0: them. You can't donate them. Mm -hmm. And, like, in our practice, if I want to buy, if I need clindamycin for a a patient, I can't just buy two vials of clindamycin. I have to buy a box of 10 or 20 or 24 or whatever it is. So you end up wasting a lot of stuff. So there was an interesting thing on uh, Medscape, which is a very good resource by the way, uh, evidence-based birth is a great resource. Up to date is a great resource. Medscape is a great resource. You have to belong to Medscape, to pay a, a fee, so I do. And so this is a paper on our drug expiration dates, a myth. So I'm just gonna highlight what I wrote here and said, Um since 1979, the US Food and Drug Administration has required that manufacturers include an expiration date at which full potency and safety of the drug is still guaranteed, okay? So the expiration date doesn't mean the drug is going bad the next day. It means that at least to that date, it's guaranteed to be 100% effective. Okay? That I really didn't know. It's not like food, you know, where your hamburger is starting to turn brown. You've got to cook that hamburger really quick. All right. It says, <laughs> note that the FDA requirement is a date at which potency is still guaranteed. All right. Um, in most cases, the drug in question has not been tested for e- efficacy or toxicity past that date. There is also no incentive in the regulations for a pharmaceutical manufacturer to look for ways to lengthen the date of expiration Duh. okay all right the shelf life extension program or something called SLEP, which is administered by the fda for the u.s department of defense because they they, they check the long-term stability of federal drugs stockpiles because in case there's a, a war or in case something else you need you have stockpiles of these things so After vigorous testing of more than 3,000 different lots of these drugs, almost 9 out of 10 lots were determined to have more than 90% potency at one year past the expiration date. Mm -hmm. All right? So here's some common drugs that we might use, like amoxicillin tablets. The uh, shelf life extensions could be up to 23 months. Ciprofloxin could be fifty-five months, so you can use it five and a half years, so four and a half years later, it's still good, according to the ninety well,
1: percent.
0: Well, according to the, yeah, the U.S. Department of Defense, it's going to be ninety percent effective and still not have any, you know, bad toxicity to it. And these are things that are stored under optimal commit com- condition. So this is not like me who has my first stuff in my trunk when it's ninety-five degrees outside. Okay. (laughs) Right. I know. What are you going to do, though? You're going to carry it in, carry it out, carry it in, carry it out every time you go
1: anywhere? Yeah. Anytime you go
0: anywhere. Mm -hmm. Right. Like if I go to the office in the day, do I have to take it out of my car, bring it in the office because my car's sitting in the sun all day? I've I've
1: really been thinking about this. I'm moving my car around into the shade to try and figure it out. Um, I don't know. But medicine, medicine, probably we could just bring it in. But oxygen, is it safe?
0: Oxygen is probably safe. It
1: won't explode. But, but some
0: no it won't explode. But some of your equipment, like like my ultrasound machine, I don't know about your pulse oximeter or other things. What happens when they get up to one hundred and ten degrees either? Yeah, I don't
1: have a pulse ox. Oh, but I do have I do, do your Doppler, I do and, have my Doppler. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I think some, I don't know. So, yeah. I mean, my stuff's been staying in the car for a really long time, and it still all works.
1: Right. That was something I wouldn't want to know when well, I got. Yeah, there,
0: my portable ultrasound. I do try to park in the shade, but just, you know the shade's only good for a little while. And the Earth does rotate.
1: You know
0: that? <laughs> I did. Yeah. Unless you're a flat Earth society person, then it just spins. Is there People
1: still believe that.
0: Oh, there's a great. There was a great documentary I watched. Everybody should watch this documentary. <laughs> oh, the first half was actually quite good. I forgot what it's called, but you, if you go to YouTube and put in "flat Earth documentary," it'll come up, and it's. It's interesting. Somebody told me to watch it, and it was really interesting. I watched it about two weeks ago. Again, it was one of those evenings where you have nothing to do, so you watch stuff like Ladder Society stuff. I haven't
1: had any of those evenings
0: yet. Okay. A more recent fascinating study looked at 15 different compounds, all between 28 and 40 years past their expiration date.
1: 28
0: to 40 years past their expiration date. A long
1: time.
0: The drugs were subjected to rigorous chemical analysis. The majority, 86% of them, Were found to be at least ninety percent potent. Twelve of the fourteen medications retained full potency for at least three hundred (laughs) and thirty-six months, which is essentially almost thirty years. And eight of these retained full potency for at least four hundred and eighty months, which is four hundred and eighty, which is forty years.
1: How did they come up with those numbers?
0: They tested them. Thirty and forty years later. Yes.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Like things like I like I like things like probably penicillin and other things like that. Two notable exceptions were Tylenol and aspirin, which degraded pretty quickly. So I thought that was interesting. Very. All right. So what about adrenaline? OK. Recently, much is concerned been raised about the, the rising cost for, uh, for EpiPen. OK. So a number of studies have examined both safety and potency of expired epinephrine products, a chemical and microbial analysis of six EpiPens 30 months beyond their expiration date, that had been stored in a hospital pharmacy determined they were still sterile and detectably pure, Great. and yet they have to throw them out. And they're very expensive. So in our office, not my new office, but my old office, we had a what do you call it? emergency kit. What's it called? Uh, we, had a, we had to have
1: first
0: We had well, an emergency first mm-hmm. aid kit. We had to have Epi and intubation stuff in it. It was a little kit that we. That, and then we every year we updated it and we threw the stuff out and bought new stuff. We never used it in the 30-some years that I was in that office. We never used it, thank God. But um, we had to buy stuff every year and throw it out. All right. So um, moving on to the last page, I said um, EpiPens for the preloaded syringes appear to be stable for and sterile for a period of at least 90 days after the expiration date. So, I mean, that's something that we could, you could probably get away with again i don't know what would happen like when we use expired oxytocin like sometimes i'll look at it expired three months beforehand am i going to throw that out and not use it no i'm going to probably use that Mm -hmm. all right is it you know do do people i want i want to when the reason i'm bringing this up is that people need to stop putting as much emphasis on an expiration date on something Mm -hmm. if you have a if you've got vitamin k that you spend money on if you've got a rogan that you spent money on a hundred dollars for rogan more or less and it expired two months ago. or you have, you have to throw it out?
1: I am. I know.
0: We are, I am too. Yeah. I'm just saying that it's possible that you don't I have to do that. that if anymore. I
1: was, if we were in wartime, I get it. Like 90% effective is better than nothing because you can't get the drugs. But especially as a midwife, I feel like if, the, if I used something that was expired and then I didn't have the effect that I had hoped for, I could definitely be. For that. so for me it's more about being really safe in
0: terms of those things so the bottom line so here's the bottom line in this our medscape article our patient fears justified that an expired medication like spoiled milk could be dangerous the only expired medication that has ever been reported to cause toxicity was an older tetracycline formulation that is now off the market mm-hmm. in that situation reported in the 1960s Four patients develop reversible renal tubular damage. Uh, So we'll skip that. With that single exception, there are no published reports of human toxicity due to use of a current drug formulation after its expiration date.
1: Yeah, to me it makes sense. It's just not as effective like spices.
0: You know you're supposed to throw your spices out after
1: something like that? I don't don't, cook anyway. So it's like that. They're just not as potent. Or herbs, you know, those kinds of things. How about pepper?
0: Does pepper expire?
1: Not expire, but it's like probably not as Pepper? potent as when you first got it. Probably. Yeah. So let's go to the dark side because we only have
0: 15. All right. Minutes. Okay. I just thought that was interesting. I'm probably change anything that we do, but it certainly it is interesting. If I realize that I have Pitocin and it expired last month, I'm not going to be afraid to use it.
1: I think maybe I'll keep on with the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. So that I have 90% effective.
0: Yeah, I just, threw out, like, I just threw out like 20 vials of clindamycin because they expired in 2018. I probably should have kept them in, in for the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, it has lots of infections.
1: We're right. going to be very needed in the zombie apocalypse.
0: Okay, well, briefly, the dark side, you, start, you mentioned it to me already. You asked about this person, so go ahead. So go
1: ahead. Well, I mean, I think I uh, had a little bit of a rough week. Bottom line is I had a rough week. And um, Mother's Day is coming up, so I want to say Happy Mother's Day to everyone. Those that, you know, have lost their mom or have lost a child or have remained motherless when they want to be a mom, you know, it's not always a joyful occasion for everyone, a joyous occasion. So that's kind of been on my mind. Um, my friend and fellow midwife here in Los Angeles, Kim Kataban, Bonferron, I will just say her name because it's difficult yeah. to pronounce. Um, her brother-in-law was tragically killed this week. Um, altercation in, in uh, Sacramento at a grocery store. And then was basically ran over by that guy in front of his wife. So,
0: yeah. And you said he has a kid, too. Two
1: children. Two children. So, you know, I just. I just want to send love and support and prayers out to Kim and her family as they are moving through this early stages of grief um, as I feel that pain, you know? And then the video of Ahmad Arbery jogging and being shot down um, in the street um, came up on my feed yesterday morning. <clears throat> and. Um, you know, I just, I, I feel so connected to the pain of these violent acts, you know, um, and I realized that we get so desensitized, you know, and I just don't ever want to be desensitized again to how painful it is um, when we lose people to COVID, to cystic fibrosis. <laughs> to a loss and a pregnancy, to old age, whatever it is. Like, we're all losing people in our life. It's part of life, but it's also extremely painful. And I just want us to have compassion for everybody's um, experience. And the fact that this man was jogging and was, was guns down, um, we need to not tolerate
0: no, yeah, nobody tolerates that kind of stuff. And the problem, of course, is is that there is no justice for something like that. I mean, you could take these two guys and you could draw on a quarter of these, these two guys that shot him. And, and it, wouldn't, it still wouldn't be justice for the family that lost their No, and
1: their, they sat in the house for two months. You know? I mean, I just think about that. Guys, people that shot Sky have been in jail ever since and will be in jail until, you know, we're able to do the case. But these men were at home. It's just, uh, just yeah, because, like the, because the
0: local police did nothing.
1: No, and, so they finally arrested. and because the, um, the
0: state, the police came I mean, in uh, and state, state got involved, and so
1: hopefully justice
0: will. Be but protected. but you know, you talk about so not I mean, feeling, it, it's hard because the the, the, there's so much hard stuff out there that that the coping, that one of the coping mechanisms is is, is to so bury your head in the sand and ignore it, or to you know put it off to into a compartment okay. because the alternative is to live your whole life in, in. I mean, there's so much of this out there.
1: I know I get it. I get, I get both sides. Like I was talking to Jordan about the video that we want to mention. And I said, you should watch this video because he's kind of been my update about stuff with COVID. And then I have to go and go, did you open that article? Did you research it? Where'd that information come from? Cause you know, young people like just get the headlines and then run with it. Um, and he said, Um, I have enough right now just dealing with myself. I don't need any more drama. I need to just focus on myself and one day at a time. And I was like, I get that. And sometimes you do when you're struggling and you're having a hard time with what's going on in your life. You may not be able to take in everything that life is throwing at us globally because you have to also just be present for your family and kind of keep your mental health in touch as well but we can't we can't get ourselves into a situation where then we're not taking action and where our priority is only about our comfort and not about like being human beings and and you know so there's a balance there
0: i think yeah well there has to be and unfortunately i understand where where jordan's coming from completely but the bottom line is while while you while we are focusing on on healing ourselves there are people out there that are taking advantage of the world and doing things that if we aren't vigilant all the time, they're going to, it's going, it's going to creep and creep and, creep and creep and creep creep into your life. And suddenly you're going to wake up one day and you're going to realize that I wasn't paying attention. And what happened to free speech? You know, what happened to, you know, my ability to assemble, what happened, my ability to, 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 to make a living without, without getting thrown in jail because I opened my hair salon. Um, you know, these sorts of things that are going on that we see, and then we don't have time to get into it too much today and maybe that's good because it's been a fairly mm-hmm. positive podcast. But what, what you what you brought up and what we've been talking about beforehand is the fact that, that powerful big tech, Twitter, YouTube, Google, uh, Facebook, um, are censoring any dissenting opinions on, on certain issues.
1: Yeah. So. Um, Dr. Fiscon and I uh, have a friend and client, Nikki Willis, who's a documentarian, and his his wife, Nadia. We were there for their second delivery of their son, who is an uh, HVAC. And um, they are working on a film, film called Plandemic, so Pandemic with the L, Plandemic. And we were given a video um, of a Dr. Judy Nikovic and um it was really fascinating and you can't find it
0: now it was taken down it's and been it's been taken down several <laughs> been, and reposted and taken down and reposted and taken down yeah there are ways to find it and and uh nadia gave me a, a
1: uh backdoor backdoor
0: link yeah i'm sure she'll let me, she'll mm-hmm. share it if people want to can't find it now they should see it all right um the, 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 well briefly the question isn't so much is Dr. Mikovits telling the truth is it her truth is it the truth is it is it reasonable is it unreasonable the truth is is that if you are confident in your positions then you don't need to silence people who disagree with you so every time you see something being removed from YouTube whether it's a thing on back you know they may be even remove this from your from Instagram because we're talking about it um,
1: but anytime that, anytime that
0: you see
1: something removed, whether
0: it's on vaccine discussion. You know, we talked about this last time. My friend uh, uses puppies when she wants to talk about vaccine issues because it's a toad word. Well, she just has a picture of a Uh lovely puppy. And then she says, you want to learn more, click on this link and that sort of thing. And then people can go find it. Mm -hmm. And you have to be sneaky about it because they have bots that are looking through all their stuff and looking for keywords or key sentences or key phrases. And then they're, removing them for violating community standards, which of course is ridiculous because many, many people in the community hold the same views as the subject of Mickey Willis's documentary. They have questions about the lockdown. They have questions about the motivation of pharmaceutical companies and the vaccine and the, the, the pushback against hydroxychloroquine and all these things that are happening. And there are conspiracy theories out there and not all conspiracy theories are phony. There are some that, are, that have validity to them um, and I believe
1: every word. I'm sorry. It just struck a chord with me. Everything of, she said.
0: it seems, oh, yeah. seems legitimate, right? Uh,
1: and I trust Mickey. I know him. I've known him for a long time, so I trust the source that the documentary is coming from. Um, and you know, one of the things I thought was really interesting was when they were talking about that um, the risk of getting sick from from a COVID. Uh, virus is higher when you've had the flu vaccine. Yes. What was it like thirty something percent yeah, higher? I don't remember the numbers, but makes sense to me. Like the push for the flu vaccine and how ineffective the flu vaccine is, and and what we talked about last week with the um the vaccine that was given in Africa that it covered them for that particular infection or disease
0: but system for
1: other things and makes them susceptible for other things. And those two doctors, ER doctors from Bakersfield, whose who's, uh, videos have also been taken down, who are sitting that, like us and saying we're not wearing masks because we understand viruses. We understand that staying at home is actually lowering your immune system and that the way that we strengthen our immune system is exchanging and, and being exposed to these viruses. And we're being told the exact opposite. Um so I hope that you guys can get a chance to look for this. You're
0: gonna get cut off. You got ten seconds, 20 seconds. We'll see
1: you next week. Let us know if you wanna know more about this documentary. Send us a private message and we'll get you the link to, to be able to see yeah, it. We'll, we'll probably we'll talk more about next week. We'll, we'll talk more about this
0: next time. Um this will be posted uh, live on Love Facebook for twenty-four and hours and on Dr. Sue's podcast. You can find it permanently. Um when you go to Doctor Stu's podcast website, it'll be put up, and it'll also be on the Facebook page. That you can find it continuously. Um, this topic is—we just we just scratched the surface of it. I, you know, have talked about this before, but it's really getting serious right now as to what's happening in the in the world of big tech and the and the First Amendment. So, on that sour note, we end a very, very otherwise pretty nice pot, uh, pretty nice chat. You know,
1: you got to do both, right? Uh-
0: so you can again. You can find us at uh, birthinginstincts.com is my website. birthingbliss.com is Bliss's website. And on Instagram, you know where she's is at birthingblissmidwifery. I'm at am I at? birthing instincts. Yeah, <laughs> at birthing instincts. And uh, we'll we'll be back next Friday uh, unless we're At of birth. Out of birth. See ya.
1: Bye.